Welcome to Feel More, Buy More, the marketing and advertising podcast from System One that puts its data where its mouth is. Everyone has an opinion on the latest ads, so do we at System One. But we've got the numbers too. Effectiveness test scores fresh off the System One ad ratings database. Today I'm joined by Tom Ewing and Orlando Wood. Hello, hello gents. Hello. hello. Orlando, give me a little bit of background of what you do within System One. Well, I'm Chief Innovation Officer at System One, so I do a lot of work to understand what makes advertising effective and to find out, I suppose, new ways of talking about advertising that might help advertisers to make more profitable work. Fantastic. And Tom, obviously, is Head of Marketing. If you listened to the first episode, you would have heard Tom talk about BrewDog and the Warburton's adverts. How are you today, Tom? I'm doing well, very uh, very well. Thank you, James. Thank you Looking for coming back on the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about fluent devices. What are fluent devices? Orlando is an expert on on the subject. The world expert. The, the, the world on the expert. On well, I suppose I invented the term, so yes. So fluent devices are, are things, uh, I suppose, characters in advertising that are used repeatedly uh, again and again across campaign. Or they could be a scenario that's sort of repeated in new and different ways across a campaign. So a bit like, uh, you know, you're not you when you're hungry or, or spec savers, you know, um, uh, fantastic, uh, you know, long running campaign, uh, you know, should have gone spec savers. That sort of, that's a fluent device, just as much as the characters are. And tell me a little bit more about how how the term came about and what, what is fluency because we talk about fluency a lot and for people outside what what does it mean and, and how did you come to the term yeah well f- fluency or processing fluency you know to give it its full title um, is just how easily and how quickly we can recognize something process something uh, or you know it, it, how it just how quickly it comes to mind really um and it, you know it, we've been doing quite a lot of work to understand distinctive assets and their properties uh, this is a few years ago uh you know logos colors shapes all that sort of thing and um it, it occurred to me that uh in, in some of the advertising testing work we'd done that that actually Something something had changed in in creative styles, and that we were seeing fewer and fewer characters or, or of these scenarios. Oh, well, um, we were we were seeing some some great characters, but they were only being used for one ad. That's they right, were one off. They weren't being you know, used as yeah, as ways like to the, build like that the, fluency. Like like the you know penguin in uh, John Lewis's yeah, Mon- Monty, Monty, Monty the, penguin. the penguin, a great five star. Or was the monster, you know, but only used once. Yeah. Um, Whereas, you know, years ago, these things would be used many times. Um, so so this, this sort of idea of uh, a, a device that is used across a campaign that enables people to process, you know, really quickly and easily what the thing is, what it's about, but also that, you know, influency when we, when we come across something that we recognize and can pro- process really easily, we tend to like it more, you know, with 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 familiarity, you know, you get you sort of bring familiarity breeds contentment. Um, so so the the easier it is to process, the more we'll pay for it. Studies have shown this, um, and you know, so it, it it was important that we sort of captured that in the term fluent device. 
So Orlando, can you give me some examples of memorable or some of the most distinctive fluent devices in advertising? Well, well, there are there are many. Uh, that there are, you know, uh, we we could go back a long a long time. In fact, uh, Tom, I think, has looked back uh, at, at yeah. the at the history of, of these things going back, you know, a uh, hundred years pretty much. Um, uh, so so more in a, in a minute on that. But you know, I mean, ones that come to mind immediately would be things like the Honey Monster, the Hofmeister Bear, the Milk Tray Man, the Smash Martians, or today's Meerkats. Um, you know, uh, all the M and M's characters. Uh, these are sort of characters that it's really easy to recognise, distinctive in the way that they look and sound. Uh, you know, really quick to process. The Geico Gecko. That's another uh, good another, example. Another yeah. great example. A very, you know, so well known in America and so well loved in America that Geico will regularly run like kind of you know reader, not reader, whatever uh, customer. Uh, customer polls on like what's what's your favorite Geico advert they get kind of millions of people because people really love their sort of these kind of you know quirky funny takes they do but yeah it goes back goes back over a century and one of the first ones that we could find was actually the crime writer Dorothy L Sayers was working on Coleman's mustard for the advertising agency uh, in the and the advertising agency she worked for in the 20s and she came up with this idea of the mustard gang so she would put up these billboards saying, have you joined the Mustard Gang? And then the Mustard Gang were this family of mustard fanatics who, who would, um, they would appear in kind of cinema adverts, you know, the, the, the pre-reels of the movies being shown in 20 cinemas. And it worked very like the Fluent Device because it would be the adventures of this particular gang and their mustard tasting club and such like. And this was all kind of done by Dorothy Sayers. And it, it, it became a phenomenon and boosted Coleman's mustard sales. So... It's, it's been effective for decades. It's one of the, you know, almost one of the oldest tricks in the advertising book, um, but, but very effective because it does, those, does those two things. It builds feeling. It makes people feel happy when they see a familiar, familiar character. They know they're going to be entertained, and it builds fluency. They immediately associate that character with the brand. And why are fluent devices effective? Why do they work? I mean, we could talk about the psychology for it, of it for a yeah, minute. Yeah, please um, do. There's a, there's a fantastic study that was conducted uh, looking at processing fluency and its relationship with, you know, how much people will pay for stuff. And um, what, what, what these uh, psychologists did was they, they gave people, one set of people, you know, a regular, normal dollar bill. And they gave another set of people a dollar bill that had been doctored slightly. So it was slightly unfamiliar, slightly disfluent, if you like. And they, they said to these groups of people, you know, how many, how many paper clips, how many staples, you know, can you buy with this dollar bill? And the group who got the, the regular dollar bill thought they could buy twice as many staples as the people who'd got the slightly doctored dollar bill that was slightly disfluent, that didn't have that fluency. So there's this relationship that goes with, you know, things that are easy to process and that are fluent and, and price sensitivity. In fact, we've seen that in the work that we've done. Yeah. Uh, to show the value of uh, fluent devices in the work that we've done with the IPA in their database. So tell me a little bit more about that work done with the IPA. Yeah, so, well, what, well I mean, it was probably, probably about three or four years ago that we started to, to think about this. And we, uh, you know, we, we chatted to the folks at the, at the IPA. And, uh, you know, I had, I had this, this notion, this hypothesis, really, that campaigns that had a fluent device, either a character or a scenario, um, would be more likely to generate, you know, 
profit gain, share gain, possibly even reduce price sensitivity. So um, we teamed up with them and we, we, we used their database and we went through their database uh, of long-term campaigns going back, you know, a, a long time. Um, and we coded them all up and Peter Field um, very kindly uh, looked at the coding against the, the effectiveness database. And he found that, um, you know, those campaigns with a fluent device, either a, either a scenario or a, or a character fluent device, were more likely to generate profit gain, market share gain, uh, reduce price sensitivity, uh, long and broad effects, basically. And we also found in that work, you know, tracing uh, the fluent device back to 1992, that they'd almost disappeared. So back in 92, they were, you know, they accounted for nearly half of all the long-term campaigns, uh, over 40% on the on the on the database. But by the time you got to 2016, you know, only about 12% of, of these of these campaigns had e even uh, though a, a fluent device. The rest of our research proves that these things are really effective. They they grow brands. They're great for long-term business effects, and people just aren't using them. So we sort of felt, well, look, we're onto something here. This is a this is a cause. This is something that we can kind of we can push for, um, because we're always you know we try we're always we're always trying to find out. Um, about effectiveness. Effectiveness is the thing that we try and predict. Um, the great thing about fluent devices, of course, is that they're sort of independent of the normal prediction. It's not like, you know, we're, we're sort of saying, oh, we'll put in a fluent device and we'll give you an extra few points. We would expect people to use, fluent, if people use fluent devices, then there should naturally be, we should naturally see an increase, you know, gradual increase in their effectiveness scores. And actually we have, for some of the, the, the recent ones where we've been able to kind of track them a bit over time, uh, something like the um, Bud Lights Dilly Dilly with the Bud Light King, um, where, where they've been running it for a couple of years now. And when it first appeared, people were like, what on earth is this? Why is he saying Dilly Dilly? Why is there this medieval guy? What's going on? You know, And it was getting like two stars. And then actually what's happened is it's bedded in. Over time, people have become really kind of used to him and so now it's like oh fantastic yeah it's the dilly dilly guy yeah dilly dilly and now he's getting three stars four stars and it's, it's still i mean it makes no sense like the actual ad makes no sense fluent devices don't have to make you know rational sense they've just got to have that kind of emotional appeal and they can build that emotional appeal over time i was i was at hampton court the other day in in the throne room uh, and you can sit in the throne and uh, just a member of the public just went to sit in the throne and just declared dilly dilly. That's that, uh, you you see, know, that's, and that, that's and that is the example. power. That is the power of that's, that's what advertising does. Buds you know, marketers, you know, will 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 have heard things like that, will have seen things like that and gone, Yeah, fantastic, we nailed it. They won't necessarily have used the term fluent device, but that's exactly what they're building. That's what they've created there yeah. with with dilly dilly. They're the kind of opposite almost of the sort of polarizing ads that that get so much attention and win so many awards. These are are ads that aren't designed to have a great higher purpose. No one could accuse the Smash Martians or, or Dilly Dilly of kind of, you know, being great exemplars of brand, uh, brand purpose. But what they do is, is what advertising's always done very well, which is that they bring people together, they unite. They create kind of these shared meaningless reference points, which you can just have a bit of fun with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the heart of it, it they entertain. Yeah. You know, and that is, that is what advertising needs to do. If it's going to create... Uh, any kind of lasting impression or any kind of growth, it, it needs to be entertaining. Um, and I think we've sort of 
probably lost sight of that. You know, the, the industry's lost sight of it a bit, and um, you know, entertainment is sort of frowned upon. But but these that that's what that's what really makes advertising work is you know characters, people, sense of place, betweenness, you know, dialogue, all of those things. Um, is what people care about. And, and in, a, in a weird way, all these monsters and, and creations are sort of a bit more human than uh, than a lot of the adverts with yeah. sort of, you know, what what look like stock photos come to life, dancing around and consuming a product or whatever. And and, that, and it's not it's not just single characters either, you know, it's just reflecting, you know, you can have family groups, like the OXO family would be a great example of a fluent device as well. Um you know, or, uh, or, 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 you know, pairs of people uh, who are often always seen together, you know, sort of, um, uh, so characters that have a foil, like the, you know, the, 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 the wonderful Cinzano ads, you know, with uh, going, this is going back a bit, but Leonard Rossiter and, uh, and Joan Collins, you know, but, but two characters, and, and it's really great when you get two characters, because, you know, when you've got a foil, um, one playing off the other, it's, it's even more entertaining, so... So it's not just, don't think of it as just one character, you know, it can be, it can be several characters. I mean, in, in general, they work very well. It's probably worth pointing out that not all fluent devices are created equal. Um, and it's quite possible to have ones that people really don't, don't warm to. That's um, an interesting, interesting point, Tom. I mean, so, you know, the ones we found that don't, you know, that are, that are, are less likely to generate an emotional yeah. response or, or to work and therefore to not, and not to work well, in the real world, um, are are those that are sort of a bit amorphous that you can't really you know that to have that are sort of dark you can't really work out what they are they're not very distinctive like fluffy balls of things you know that yeah you can't, um, you can't animated really, uh, objects it's possible to make great ads with animated objects um, in but I think that there's um, yeah, there's quite often, quite often the sort of negative things. It's like, oh, well, we'll put a monster in our ads, but it's not a friendly monster. It's some kind of like slightly dark monster that needs to be, needs to be defeated. So, you know, the government are very keen on doing this with things like the workplace pension monster. It's, it's also true that some of the kind of like, uh, some of the sort of traditional sins of Adland are still sins, even if you're using them with a fluent device. So one of the things we found in our can work was that a lot of the humour um, that you get in Adland just doesn't translate to... A wider audience there's stuff that you know you and I will will think is hilarious and kind of you know wonderfully kind of quirky and surreal and such like and just falls completely flat and that stuff will still fall completely flat if you repeat it in the form of a fluent device so pom a pomegranate juice drink they they created a fluent device which is basically a man with a dolphin through his stomach so he's kind of been a man who's been impaled by a dolphin. And there's a number of kind of, you know, adverts where he's going about his daily life, which obviously is somewhat impaired by the dolphin. And you can imagine the creatives, the creatives sitting around going, oh, this is this is fantastic. It's so crazy. It's so surreal. Everyone will remember it. It's really great. It's really memorable. And of course, all these ads did terribly. They got one star. Um, they, they, you know, and, and sadly, Dolphin Impalement Man has now been consigned to advertising limbo once again but yeah so you will get that the trojan did did one a, a few months ago um where they brought back trojan man uh who is their condom brand mascot and he he was kind of got up as a kind of like sort of 70s cult leader vibe um dispensing sex advice to to millennials and i, I thought it was great but um trojan man the god of sex performed quite poorly among 
Joe, Joe and Josephine public in the US. Um, though some unpopular fluent devices kind of run and run, is it, is it worth breaking the seal and discussing the beast that is Geo Compario, the Go well, Compare? Uh, that's right. I mean, Go, go Compare, um, I mean, it's, a fa- it's an interesting category, isn't it? Because you, at one end, you've got sort of the meerkats who um, uh, consistently perform, you know, well. Um, and, uh, you know, and all the merchandise that goes with them. And, you know, they've created a whole brand world that, that just is, is all about the meerkats. Um, and, and then, you know, you've, you've got uh, Go Compare, which also has a fluent device in Geo Compario, um, except that he's a rather sort of irritating one. Um, Go Compare! Exactly. Go Compare! Thank you, Tom. Just in case you'd forgotten yes. the irritation Thanks. of the... Thanks. Uh, and so, uh, tends to perform less well. I mean, very memorable and very recognisable, but, but without the sort of... It does pretty well on Spike, obviously, on the short-term thing, because, no, obviously, you know, you know who the, the guy is yeah. when he shows up. But we, 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 had a, like, we had to think about what they could do. One of, the, one of the ideas which you came up with, Orlando, which I thought was great, was kind of double down by introducing an even more irritating, like, sort of junior go compare to create that kind of scrappy do effect scrappy do yes where you where you like scooby doo more if, if you were irritated by scooby doo it's like well just wait until you see scrappy doo uh, and we have to remember what we, what what advertising is trying to do is ultimately you know um cre- create the affect heuristic so it's trying to get people to you know pick up the brand or reach for the brand or think of the brand that that comes quickly and easily to mind and positive you know emotional response and positive emotional associations with the brand and its characters um, will make that brand more salient and it will you know close off any other options you know it's sort of it's a emotion is a kind of focusing device that helps you to think of one thing and closes down the other options that are available it makes the choice more easy make guides and simplifies decision making which is why the, the whole kind of like Oh, polarizing! Oh, let's create a character that people might love or hate. Thing, it's you know, and that will work. That will work for the short term. Yeah, giving you a kind of short term response. You know, it attracts attention. It, you know, it raises it to mind. Brings it's, it to ultimately, mind. It's, it's better to be but liked. You know. Over the long term, you know, you know, that's it's 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 better to be creating characters that people love. His, I mean, his his great. He's like he's like the kind of Salieri uh, to the Mozart of <laughs> compare the meerkat. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's forever overshadowed by the fact that Compare the Meerkat, and Compare the Meerkat have done, over time, Compare the Meerkat's share growth, um, I'm fairly confident in saying, has outstripped Go Compare's. Go Compare have not done badly out of Geo Comparia, who gets very high spike scores. And they brought him back. You know, they, they, they tried to get rid of him, and actually they were then, you know, found that they were kind of creating bland, unmemorable advertising that people didn't really associate with them. So they brought him back. Um, so he works for them. It's just their misfortune that this this sort of king of the irritating fluent devices is also in the same category as Britain's best-loved fluent device, Alexander Orloff and the Meerkats. So how, how do you go about creating a, a fluent device that is effective, that is positive? Because I'm sure Go Compare thought it was a great idea. Everyone's going to love this guy. Or, or were, they, were they trying to be divisive with it and then you've got uh, the meerkats how do you go about creating something that people will like is effective and memorable well uh, you know there's a 
there's, there's anyone who really wants to understand and appreciates, uh, you know, characters could could do, uh, you know, um, well, if they looked at if they looked at um, at John Webster's work. So John Webster was a, a creative, uh, worked in the operated particularly in the 70s, 80s, and, and in the 90s as well. Um, now, sadly, sadly dead. Um, but but John Webster um, was sort of the I mean, I suppose the godfather in many ways of the fluent device in the, in the UK anyway. Um, and he, I mean, so he was behind the Smash Martians, the Honey Monster, the Hofmeister Bear. Uh, you know, I mean, there are, there are the Cresta Bear. I mean, he, he basically, if, the, if, the, if there was a bear in it, he probably worked on it. Um, and uh, so, so you know, and looking at his creative, um, I suppose, approach is very instructive. There's a, there's a really nice uh, book that's been written by Sarah Carter, uh, uh, DDB, all about John Webster's life. Um, it's, it's, it deserves broader publication. It's an internal thing at the moment. Um, but she, she goes, she documents and gets people to talk about how John Webster approached these things. And um, uh, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, it's normally a kind of, as Sarah puts it, like a burr that sticks to your clothes, you know, like one of those things you walk through the, you know, you know, there's just something in some way someone expresses something or in conversation. So for the honey monster, you know, it was, um, it, it was mothers talking about their kids as being like little monsters. And, and just that phrase, that, that sort of burr that sticks to the clothes, uh, gave John Webster the idea of, of, of a monster. Um, and it started off being uh, a, a small and fairly irritating monster um, and it didn't work for the kids because monsters are supposed to be big and smash the place up a bit and it didn't work for the mothers either because they saw it as a, you know, an irritating uh, monster that, that, that was only ever going to cause trouble for them um, and so you know John Webster flipped it and made them made the honey monster big and made it clumsy you know so it was therefore endearing um, and you know, that, then the honey monster was born. I mean, there are other examples. And it's also there's also a serendipity element. Oh, I mean, you, you you don't necessarily go into an advert thinking, right, we're going to have this device and it's going to run over X adverts and it's going to do these. You know, you have to be, I think, open to the idea that if there's a particular popular element to your advert, if there's something that works particularly well, then run with it. There's a, an example from Australia um, in the 80s. There's this character called the Gobble Dog. Um, whose who's role in life is to, you know, he lands in his spaceship and he raids Australian households for crisps um, or chippies, as they're known. And so he rampages through the house going, chippies, and stealing packs of Smith's crisps. It has to be Smith's crisps, naturally. Um, and they basically made this advert starring the gobbledock and it was going to be a one-off. And then they realised that, like, kids were in schoolyards around Australia going chippies and and pretending to be the gobbledock and they thought right well we need more gobbledock adverts and he ran for about 10 years and actually the first ones they made after that because they'd only designed the costume to work once like half of it was falling apart and the head didn't move properly and stuff so in the second gobbledock advert it's sort of you know he's very much a shadowy figure because they hadn't built the new costume um but yeah but so you're that, right i mean you know. serendipity is behind so many great ads actually we don't, perhaps don't don't realize you know as the audience doesn't realize but um, you know, the, 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 the Joan Collins, I mentioned it earlier, but, you know, the, the, the Cinzano, Joan Collins and, and um, Leonard Rossiter ads, it was actually Leonard Rossiter said, 
well, look, why don't we do the old music hall routine where he says, what's the time? You know, and then, then from then on, you know, Joan Collins spilt her drink in every, pretty much every, I think, every uh, ad they did. Um, the Dulux dog, you know, just wandered on set, belonged to the family, um, in, you know, in the ad. And, that, and, that, and then it stuck, you know, because it just made it a bit more interesting having the, having the Dulux dog there. And, you know, it's been there for, what is it, 50, 60 years almost now. Uh, it was the 60s when it, um, it, first, it first appeared. So, so serendipity often, I mean, as with all things creative, serendipity is very useful and important. Um, things that can, uh, you know, guide a decision. Because focused attention, if you're focusing your attention on things, um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't always work. Sometimes you need something random to, to interject in your thought processes to create something wonderful. Definitely. Um, can celebrities be fluent devices, so someone that's well-known? Yes, they can. Um, and, uh, you know, we've mentioned a few uh, already. Um, but uh, what, what we found, in fact, we, in part of our work with the IPA's database, we looked specifically at celebrities. And um, they were better at generating short-term effects um, and less good at the long at long term effects, but you know there are there are sort of exceptions to this. I mean, the longer the longer something goes on, I mean, look at the Walkers, you know, uh, campaign <laughs> with uh, with Gary Lineker. That was one that was in my you mind. You know, um, yeah, yeah. I mean that that has that has been uh, going and for. I, th I think the other the other thing that's really really interesting about that is that it, it's 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 not like a celebrity endorsement. That's the, the difference. The, that's, that's the, the thing. difference. The celebrity has created a character. You know, we know that the real Gary Lineker is not Gary, the crisp grabbing, you know, like like the gobbledock. In fact, but the crisp growing monster from the Walkers ads, the kind of crisp hoarding creature. Um, it's a kind of like you know, sort of funhouse mirror reflection of the real celebrity, which actually means that it's a, a character in its own uh, right. Probably a caricature just, of the person yeah. or, or a, you know, um, an exaggeration or they have to be acting in some way. So, I mean, it was very interesting that you mentioned Walkers because, of course, very recently, um, Walkers launched a big new campaign with the Spice Girls. Um, and the idea was they, they did a, an ad. It was a, a very lavish ad um, that, you know, where the Spice Girls appear at the home of their biggest super fan. And he's... He's actually he's also played by a, um, a celebrity himself, a comedian. Um, but he's trying to, you know, he's like he'd do anything for the Spice Girls except he won't give them his his cheese and onion Walker's crisps. And it's quite an entertaining ad. It's a, it's you know filmed in a sort of like kind of mock mockumentary um, form, as if it's a kind of you know handheld camera showing this sort of reality TV thing. Um, and obviously the Spice Girls themselves act according to their their, their stereotypes, you know. Um, but it didn't do that well on ad ratings. It got 2.9 stars, which for a, a, a major FMCG campaign launch, did well on Spike, the short-term thing, but for a major FMCG campaign launch, isn't that great? And interestingly, I think they've done another one in the campaign, which has actually done slightly better, has actually got three stars. So it might be one of these things where it'll bed in over time. But I think that probably what they need to do is they need to, you know, it, it probably feels a bit too much like, well, okay, it's just the Spice Girls. It's the Spice Girls being the Spice Girls. And what you need is a kind of version of the Spice Girls that becomes slightly larger than life, that becomes slightly kind of caricatured in that way. And that's the point at which you've got something that might kind of run for, for several years. Yeah. I mean, but I remember, you know, in the account, in, in Peter Field and Les Binet's, 
you know, a, a kind of original um, marketing in the era of accountability. They look at they look at different creative styles, and they say that celeb. They conclude that you know, if you're going to use a celebrity, make it do something, make them do something interesting or surprising. Um, you know, don't just rely on them as a sort of mouthpiece. Definitely, and you mentioned that um, fluent devices are in decline. In 2016, only 12% of the IPA submissions contained a fluent device. Why are they on the decline? And if they're shown to be 20 plus percent more effective in profit and share gain, then why are they going away? Well, it's a it's a very good question, and in fact, that it's the subject of a a new piece of work that um, that um, we'll be bringing out in October. Um, uh, and uh, it's it's um, part of a general, a broader trend actually. In we've seen advertising get uh, flatter, more abstract, um, less focus on people and the, the connection between them, um, and uh, less use of metaphor, less, uh, I suppose, uh, humanity in in the in the work that's being created. Um, and it, it's something that I've, I've traced, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see it when we when we launch the work in, in the new year, in, later in the year. But it is, um, you know, part of a, a, a worrying trend actually, and, and something of a crisis in creativity, as Peter Field's latest stuff from Cannes shows. You know, sort of advertising is um, uh, not not creating the long-term effects that it used to, but you know, and some of the work that we've done recently shows that. Um, it's also not engaging the general public as much as it used to, and I think part of the fluent, the demise of the fluent device, uh, is is part of that story, uh, and it's time we time we brought it back again. I think you are. I think we probably are seeing. Um, uh, it, se it seems that because we've done this work in the UK and the US to look at, you know, how prominent, how prevalent fluent devices are today, and less, you know, fewer than ten percent of all ads uh, on our ad ratings database, which is, you know, pretty much all TV ads, um, have one of these character fluent devices. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're few and they're, they're much, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, you know, what we found on the IPA's database is, is replicated today in the real world, you know, in, on, on TV today. Um, and you also find that they're not being used um, in other channels. I mean, if, if they're being used in TV by brands, then those brands that are, you know have a fluent device are using them even less in the other channels. So you know, even though actually one of the things that we found is that if you do use your fluent device in another channel, it's more effective. Yeah, we did no, a, a side by side test on Facebook where we we you know did an A/B test of a version of a, a display ad that didn't use a brand's fluent device. Uh, it was British Gas and the Penguins, yeah. I believe. Yeah, um, the Penguin. And, and then we used one which did use Wilbur the Penguin, um, and we discovered that dwell time... Um, attention. And, yeah, attention. You know, which is essentially reach in that kind of environment. Such like, those all improved. Yeah. If you, you put a fluent device in, and, and almost any ad in any format Things will work become better. more effective. Because they're so instant. You don't need... You know, if you've... Yes, it, it, a lot of the great examples are on TV, um, and a lot of them are historical, but you don't need those kind of 30-second spots to once you've once you've built a fluent device you don't need those you know you don't you don't uh, like you can make very quick visual references to to it um, which are and get the benefits uh, then, and which are needed you know yeah. in, in in a in where speed is everything in in a, in yeah. an online if you're, environment if you're scrolling down 
um, Facebook and you see Alexander the meerkat or you see, you know, Gio Campario or you see the Geico Gecko, your brain is immediately registering that that's, that's who it is, even if you're not consciously thinking that is the Geico Gecko. I mean, there are, there are also, you know, I've sort of seen it firsthand, but, you know, uh, it's very easy to sort of manage a, a fluent device out of the creative, uh, you know, uh, kind of um, development process, you know, kind of, uh, you know, do we really want a character? No, it doesn't meet the brief. And, you know, there are all sorts of reasons not to do a character. Um, but there's a, there's a lovely uh, story where... Um, uh, John Webster to return to him when he created the, the, the Cresta the Cresta Bear you know the marketing director of Cresta said to John Webster but why you know but why on earth has it got a polar bear in it and John Webster replied in perhaps the only way you can uh, by saying why not Orlando, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today um, in October when, when the new work's released. We'll make sure we have you on again to discuss a little bit more in detail. It is very interesting, James, so you will enjoy it. What, what can people look forward to? Um, well, what, what have the Romans ever done it's for us? It's a broad, mm. it's a broad topic, um, but it's... Um, but, it, 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 you know, if you've ever wondered why all ads today have... Uh, you know, words emblazoned across them, um, why they're highly rhythmic, why they uh, don't don't show people uh, it, other than in sort of freeze frame. It's the, it's the missing um, link between GoDaddy ads, Pablo Picasso, and the dissolution of the monasteries. It does sort of throw a hoop over all of those things. Um, so yes, that's, um, it, 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 and it's all to do with the way the brain works, and that the same, the same, um, I suppose, thinking style that is behind short-termism today is also responsible for this flattening and abstraction you get in advertising. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Cheers. As always, you can find all of our content at systemonegroup.com. Follow us on social media at System One Research. All of the links and references from this episode will be in the show notes, which also includes a free trial to our ad ratings products.